What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Michael Shulov is the CEO and co-founder of Fireblocks, a secure digital asset infrastructure company. Prior to Fireblocks, he co-founded Lacoon Mobile Security, which was acquired by Checkpoint and was then appointed the head of products, mobile, and cloud security for Checkpoint. In this conversation, we discuss an overview of the Fireblocks business, legacy financial infrastructure, decentralized finance, stable coins, and the recent surge in interest across the crypto industry. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michael, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Crypto.com. With over 5 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest way to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. You can download the app at Crypto.com and get $25 with my code POMP. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and comes with these amazing perks. Rebates on Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions, along with airport lounge access for you and a guest at hundreds of airports around the world. And of course, the Crypto.com Visa card gives you all this with no annual or monthly monthly fees to worry about. Get $25 when you download the crypto.com app today using the code POMP. Again, go download the app and use the code POMP. Next up is Exodus. Exodus is the leading the world out of the traditional financial system by building beautiful and user-friendly blockchain products. With its focus on design and user experience, Exodus has become one of the most popular and loved cryptocurrency apps. It's supported on both desktop and mobile, allowing you to sync your wallet across multiple devices so you can have access to your funds anywhere. You can instantly exchange around 100 different cryptocurrencies straight from your wallet. Interactive charts let you view an asset's price history and your portfolio's performance over time. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with the Treasure Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. You can visit Exodus.com for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or Play Store. Again, Exodus, E-X-O-D-U-S.com for your free download or search Exodus on the App Store or Play Store. Exodus, leading the world out of the traditional financial system by building beautiful and user-friendly blockchain products. Go check them out. I love Exodus. You'll love Exodus. Go use it. Lastly, do not forget that I write a daily letter to over 135,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, that's pompletter.com. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Michael here. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's just jump right into your background before we talk about Fireblocks. But uh, you know, where did you grow up, and what did you do before Fireblocks? Yeah, sure. So, uh, grew up uh, in Israel, uh, and uh, I guess uh, uh, fairly, I guess fairly typical for an Israeli entrepreneur. I actually, spent the the first uh, two decades of my my career in cybersecurity. I actually, started the, in that domain when I uh, had to do my mandatory service in the Israeli army. So, I was working for the Israeli Cyber Command about. You know, 20 years ago, as part of our my uh, military duty over there, and about 10 years ago, I started my previous startup that was focused on uh, mobile cybersecurity, 
So if you guys remember the days where people were buying iPhones and Android devices and they would come to work and ask the IT to connect uh, those devices to the to the network or you know to get emails and documents, something that is like <laughs> completely trivial today. Uh, when that happened uh, about 11 years ago, uh, the IT guys will get a heart attack and will freak out. Uh, so we built the first platform to basically secure those devices from cyber attacks and you know, work with, uh, with a lot of the Fortune 500 companies. And about uh, four years into that venture, we got acquired by a company called Checkpoint that uh, is one of the biggest cybersecurity vendors. Uh, I was running their mobile and cloud security portfolio. So basically their trans transformational unit that... Uh, um, was supposed to take them from from traditional uh, IT infrastructure into you know modern age. Um, so I've been there for three years, and then uh, basically there was something quite interesting that happened in 2017 that basically drove us into into crypto, into this uh, super exciting world of uh, uh, you know the new finance. What, what was that interesting thing? So uh, early in 2017, there was a hack in South Korea that basically $200 million worth of Bitcoin uh, disappeared in, in, from four exchanges in South Korea and reappeared in North Korea. Uh, and so there was a pretty significant hack over there. And part of that hack was actually done through mobile devices because we had the, the best team in the world in terms of doing investigations around uh, mobile forensics. Uh, we, we assisted in that investigation and, you know, I've seen a lot of bad things happen to many people or many organizations through my career, but you rarely see people lose $200 million over, <laughs> overnight. Um, so that was, you know, really eye-opening for me. And I basically went down the, the rabbit hole and, and started to talk with a lot of the financial, well, you know, financial institutions or, you know, crypto fintech companies that were operating in the space to understand what are the gaps they have? Why why that happened? You know, and and sort of understood the lack of infrastructure, I guess, that uh, uh, we had back in 2017, 2018, which really attributed to a lot of those hacks and and to the all the crypto that was lost uh, in the last I don't know, decade. And um, so that basically what happened, and and I think it was you know, really what drive us to into this space to, to come and, you know, what to fix a problem that initially I think we saw, we thought that it's just a, a bit, you know, very fundamental operational security or cybersecurity problem. But eventually what we discovered is that we are much more of a fintech company that is basically building the, builds the, the plumbing, you know, for, uh, for how crypto can, can flow. Absolutely. And, and so if we kind of talk through Fireblocks, uh, maybe walk us through the evolution of the business, right? So kind of what, what was the original idea? And then kind of how has it grown over time with the product suite and a number of the things that you uh, you offer to customers today? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I guess the product uh, or the, the fundamental idea uh, didn't change much, much since we basically, con you know, contemplating what we're trying to solve. So um, the idea started from a fairly simple observation that there was lack of, uh, let's say, secure hot wallets that are um, suitable for institutional usage. Uh, so that was uh, problem number one. And problem number two that we recognize is that actually the problem is not always with the storage or with the wallets themselves. It's actually how do you meet or how do you send the payment? Because it was very evident that when you're sending a, a big transaction, when you copy-paste the address, you basically, they're like, five seconds where you get a heart attack, right? That you don't actually know if the crypto, I think like when you press refresh on the block explorer to see if it's actually going to the, to the address on the other side. 
Um, and you know, some of the first customers we started to work with were, were Genesis and Galaxy and some of those big OTCs that were doing hundreds of transactions per day. And it was very clear that this is a huge problem for them. And I guess, you know, when we thought about how the space is going to evolve, you know, I think we had in our mind something that looks like what, how it looks today, right? That there is big, big money flowing around that, you know, left and right and, and uh, at scale. And this need, need to be solved. So we basically created a very secure uh, hot wallet offering, which we call the Firebox Vault, that is based on multi-party computation with hardware security. And uh, the second part, which we are, I guess, most famous for, is the Firebox Network, that is basically serving like this um, institutional authentication layer, basically the SWIFT for crypto for institutions to make sure that they authenticate each other from an address standpoint. That was, you know, how we started. You know, with time, I think it, it evolved to a much more comprehensive offering, which is almost like a, a crypto backend as a service. Um, so any financial institutions, where is that, you know, hedge fund or OTC desk or market maker or payment provider or bank uh, or exchange, they need to basically set up like a, a full stack of services that goes from a wallet to settlement to compliance to, um, you know, reconciliation. And then to the more advanced use cases like DeFi and, and staking. And now Fireblocks is basically, you know, more or less that, you know, I think everybody would like to, to give this comparison, but a bit like the AWS for if you need to do crypto, basically a platform where you can activate different components uh, and start from sometimes from something that is very basic, but then just like activate more and more components and essentially take advantage and, you know, sort of, uh, Boot, bootstrap your business into then like, you know, full speed where you do everything possible in crypto. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to talk about uh, today is just like the comparison between the legacy financial infrastructure and then what you're building with Fireblocks and kind of digital asset infrastructure. Uh, some of it is similar and, and there's a lot of comparisons and then some of it is very, very different. Um, and obviously you and I believe that some of those differences are advantageous uh, compared to the legacy system. So maybe what we could start with is just the similarities, right? So when you look at the legacy system and the digital asset system, specifically uh, what you're building with Fireblocks, what are the similarities between those two systems? Yeah, so I think that to a certain extent, there will be similarities in terms of the participants in the market, right? I think that um, many years ago, people would say, you know, a few years ago, the, maybe there was like a notion that... Uh, Crypto is going to disintermediate everything. I think that we realize more and more that uh, the players that own uh, the end user are probably going to stay, right? So you will have um, neo banks and banks and payment providers that will still basically hold the end uh, customer relationship and they would, you know, basically provide some kind of wallet services or account services. I think that this is pretty much. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that eventually it will be that, or for the next for the foreseeable future, I don't think that um, the entire world population will work with ledger nanos in their pocket. You know, unfortunately, I guess. Um, so I think that that part of the market infrastructure will 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 survive, and then um, you will also have uh, the market makers that need to basically supply liquidity to you know to interact with the different protocols. So I think that. So the perimeter of the of the environment is is uh, going to be pretty much uh, the same. Um, what's definitely going, or I hope, like you know, that 
what what's going to basically be changed is I think two things. Uh, one is the counterparty risk and the transparency that people have into actually what's going on behind the scenes. And, and the second aspect is sort of um, some level of disintermediation or, you know, flattening of the pyramid of, of trust that exists, you know, inside of the ecosystem when it comes to just having, you know, today there are just too many layers that, um, you know, eventually constitute a lot of eventually a lot of risk, right? A lot of dependencies that on normal days, they work fine, you know, but on a bad day when the market is stretched, uh, they break, right? And when they break, there is sort of this ripple effect that goes through the market. And eventually, by the way, um, it propagates to the end user or to the end customer. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about the uh, the big differences, right? So obviously, uh, similarities are... Uh are uh, clear and do a great job articulating those. What are the major differences and why do you feel like the digital assets uh, and Fireblock system is superior or advantageous compared to uh, uh, kind of legacy system? Yeah, so I think that there are basically two, um, you know, the, the base layer, I think there are two components that should be significantly re- rethought, right? The first one is what is really the concept of custody? Right of or account management in in some ways, and the second concept is basically, um, you know, around the settlement or the clearing layer. Or basically, how do you connect or how do you move the assets between uh, uh, in, in the marketplace? Um, you know, so so for the first part, um, you know, we were very, I guess. We, you know, we, we developed probably, or we progressed a lot, the utilization of um, this idea of using MPC, basically multi-party computation for, for wallet protection. But beyond the math that goes beyond, uh, goes around and beyond the security, actually one of the most, the advantages uh, aspects of MPC is that you sort of remove the counterparty risk and, and a single point of failure and uh, the... Um, trust that you actually need to to put in the party that is servicing you so that party can still be your you know backend they can still enforce some of the policies but at the end of the day from a sort of like you know a final operation risk so for example our customers if fireblocks goes down and disappears tomorrow morning their crypto is safe there is a way for them to recover it right whereas if you look at other custodial models uh, that is actually not the case. And that also like, you know, forces us to basically operate in a very different way, right? So all the accounts are segregated, right? We don't commingle things. Uh, and and uh, at the end of the day, what people see in our UI is also what people see in their address on the blockchain, right? And those things are actually fundamentally different from the way that the traditional uh, system works where you will have uh, you know, an, an account in a bank is just like a, a top ledger that represents something that you actually don't have any idea what's going on behind it, right? It can be full reserve, it can be partial reserve, it can be like, you know, 10% reserve, it can be, you know, invested in a lot of different things, but eventually you don't have any idea what it actually represents beyond, you know, what you see in the UI. So that's, I, that's I think, like, you know, component number one. Uh, I hope it makes sense. No, no, it makes complete sense. And, and so, like, I want to talk about certain aspects of the crypto industry 
Um, and I figured I can kind of just throw a topic out there and then you can give me an update in terms of what are you doing at Fireblocks and then kind of how do you think about the overall uh, kind of subsector, if you will. Uh, and maybe the place that we could start, uh, we are recording this on the day that BNY Mellon uh, is announcing all of their custody and, and kind of the, you know, the oldest bank in America. Uh, and they're talking about everything from Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and digital assets. One of those uh, I likely think will be stable coins. How do you think about uh, stable coins for your business? And then how do you think of it from a, a kind of industry sector uh, that seems to be getting a lot of attention from the legacy world? Yeah, so, so I think that actually also relates to the second part of the question of how, why it's different and why people are excited about stable coins. So I think that um, at the end of the day, one of the really fascinating things here is how stable coins are going to disintermediate people like, you know, Visa, right? In my opinion, right? And I think this is some of the reasons why you see Visa and MasterCard sort of like, you know, rushing to figure it out uh, because, and I'll just tell you like our personal story. Um, so we accept, uh, we accept payments from our customer. It's basically a monthly license or a quarterly license that they pay us. And those are pretty high numbers, right? It's like in the ten, thousands or ten of thousands, right? And, um, you know, you, before we start to use stable coins, so nowadays basically 30 or 40% of our customers are actually paying us with stable coins. They're paying us with USDC or Paxos. That's basically what we ex expect, accept. Uh, but before that, 50%, we would percent just so we're clear, 50% are? Yeah. Five yeah. zero. Wow, that's a very big yeah. number. Okay, keep yeah, going. Yeah, sorry, somewhere between uh, 40 or 50%. I don't, I don't, I'm sure exactly, uh, but... Uh, more and more, we're actually pushing more and more of our customers to pass with stablecoins, and we'll get to the point why, right? So uh, before uh, before we, we started accepting stablecoins, uh, we uh, we were basically accepting either Wire, ACH, or Stripe, right? And then at some point, and yeah, Wire, ACH, they're okay, they're reasonably cheap, but it takes you for ACH, it takes you 24 hours until it clears into your bank account. And for wire, you know, like basically wire, international wire takes you know, <laughs> three days and occasionally it being lost, like, you know, somewhere in the mid Atlantic and you never get it. And, you know, you, you, people need to, f to figure out in which bank your, your payment is stuck. So it's more inconvenient, but it's not like awfully uh, expensive. And um, when, when it came to, but at some point, basically we had a customer that uh, told us that they want to pass $30,000 over Stripe in a credit card. And my sales lady asked us, asked me, Hey, can we process that? I thought, oh, hell no, I'm not paying Stripe. Like, you know, 10,000, uh, sorry, $1,000, which is like 3% of the transaction, right. In uh, as a commission for getting a payment. So we told them to basically send us it in, in USDC. And, and it's really convenient because they're basically sending it over the Fireblocks network. Uh, but in reality, like, you know, what I was supposed to pay, but what I was supposed to pay to, to strive for like, you know, $1,000 commission and hopefully get it clear after 48 hours, I paid, you know, we paid, I think 50 cents, like back in the days, the ETH price was low. So we probably paid like, you know, 50 cents on the transaction and it cleared within like, you know, five seconds. And basically we sent it to Coinbase, you know, off ramp it using a, uh, Silver getting into into our bank account, it was just magical, right? And once that happened, we basically told, you know, all of our customers, we basically put on the invoice. This is like, you know, the Fireblocks network ID, pass and USDC, and, and PAX, and we're trying to push more and more. Now, then comes the question about ACH and wire, and the thing is that because it's truly digital, you can actually build automation, right? So you can build 
hooks in terms of getting those payments and reconciling those payments. You can look at the, at the blockchain. Uh, you can use DeFi, so we're actually depositing it into Compound, and and we, you know, we t- we're getting like a pretty significant interest. You know, if I'm trying to basically put it as a, you know, put it and deposit in my uh, in my uh, Silicon Valley Bank account, we're getting I don't know, like yeah, quarter of a percent interest rate. Uh, when we deposit the USDC, clearly, you know, depending depends on the day, but it's it's uh, orders of magnitude higher. So you know, overall, I think that. Stable coins are just this phenomenal thing, and I think that the traditional players they see it. They also essentially need it, regardless of their specific initiative, right? So whether they're planning to do Bitcoin custody or they're planning to basically tokenize securities, they need a settlement leg, and that settlement settlement leg has to be digital because digital, in a sense, that it has to run on blockchain. Because if it's not running on blockchain, it actually reduces all the beauty of why they're doing it because they basically want to do atomic swaps, which they call DVP, but basically those are atomic swaps. And that just reduces the counterparty risk between those institutions. And it's very, very, very meaningful for them. Got it. And so if we talk a little bit more about DeFi specifically, how do you see either your existing customers, like where is the demand for the DeFi products? Um, and then how do you think about what is centralized versus anything decentralized that either you're interfacing with or things that uh, you guys are building? Yeah. So, I mean, personally, I'm really a big uh, uh, promoter of uh, you know DeFi. And you know, I think that this is definitely the, the biggest promise of uh, of crypto, um, uh, but I don't think it. I mean, it, it's definitely one of those areas that are emerging. Um, funny enough, we released our support to Compound uh, literally a year ago. I think it was like beginning of February 2020, and no one cared. We we had a we had like a press release. I think the only the only publication that covered that was the blog. And even on that article, you know, we had some of our customers that basically commented, yeah, we're not going to use it. Um, and then like May came and, and liquidity mining uh, started. And it basically, I think, propelled... Uh, initially, I think everybody thought that it's just like a specu- speculative uh, uh, activity. And once the liquidity mining will, will, will dry, uh, it will basically disappear. and you know, things will go back to CFI. But uh, I think the most exciting thing is that it's here to stay. So people continue using it. Uh, now I think it basically moved the market to be much more acceptable. And you know, people understand the risk. That they also understand how to use the tools. And maybe the most important thing is that it really built the on-ramp into those protocols, or at least like the, from our, my perspective, the institutional ramp on-ramp because it forced us and to be honest, like also some of our competitors to really devote strategic resources to create uh, institutional uh, browser extension, APIs for DeFi. And now our customers can basically securely access anything from Uniswap to, to Curve to, to you know, Compound, Avi, you know, any, any of those protocols. And the amount of interaction that we're seeing over there is is overwhelming. So when we released our you know initial set of capabilities uh, around the generic capabilities two months ago, we thought that it's going to be a niche use case, and we'll have you know uh, five or ten customers that are going to use it. 
like 90% of our customers basically want to use it. Uh, so that's pretty, pretty amazing. Absolutely. And so when you think through um, the most surprising thing that's played out over, let's call it the last 12 months. So obviously we've had a public health crisis. We've had a massive uh, kind of government and central bank intervention. Uh, most of the uh, crypto industry has exploded in growth uh, from a user standpoint, from a, a value transaction standpoint. I'm going to go on a limb and say Fireblocks has done very well uh, during the last 12 months. But what's been the most surprising thing to you as uh, all this has played out? I think that the most surprising thing was actually how, you know, th there are two things. One is the propagation into mainstream, right? I, I, I mean, of course, it basically tied to the health crisis that is tied into the uh, concerns from inflation. Uh, but 12 months ago, uh, and again, we, we always played in the, what we call the crypto native space. So those are like, you know, our core customers, you know, BlockFi and Celsius and Genesis and, you know, all, all the, all, all the folks that, you know, we, we know and love. And we were also very close to, or at least we were trying to work with all the big banks, right? Um, in the big banks, it was always sort of, yeah, they were, they were interested, but it was unclear to when they're going to do it or why they're going to do it and what's going to be the trigger. And of course, there was always like, you know, the regulatory concern that that was basically an element that no one had nothing. Like there was, you know, you were, you were sort of like at the mercy of the regulator, right? When are they going to approve it? So I think that at the end of the day, the triangulation of those three things, basically the, um, I think the overall um, transformation then the real, I think, economic force behind, um, you know, behind why Bitcoin and why cryptocurrency important. And then I, th I guess surprisingly, basically the timing with the regulatory clarity from the OCC and the SEC eventually uh, is what sort of drove almost like the speed in which those banks have changed from, it's sort of like a niche group of, you know, in their innovation department or a few folks that they have like a VP of blockchain to a mainstream conversation where the literally like, you know, the number two or number three in the bank are driving. And this is for them uh, the most important thing, you know, not only the banks, but also, you know, you see it with MasterCard and PayPal and uh, all those uh, uh, big players. That for me, the fact that it happened so quickly, it's really surprising. You know, I would expect that this will be a really gradual process that will take maybe two to three years, the fact that it basically happened literally in their, I guess, uh, speeds, you know, overnight, I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. And talk a little bit as you kind of think through, um, you know, the customer base that you've built, you're serving as uh, kind of this amazing infrastructure. How big is this, right? And I know that it's a little sensitive in terms of like what data points you want to share or you don't want to share, but just like what can you share with folks so that they understand just kind of how much of a critical piece of infrastructure you guys are becoming? Yeah, so we now have about 200 customers uh, in our space. Uh, it's always hard to say how much is that, you know, from a percentage standpoint, but, you know, it's, uh, it's decent, I guess. And interestingly enough, we have a lot of big, I mean, I don't know if the big, big guys, but we do have the mid big guys uh, in the, in the space that are 
using us and partnering with us. And um, you know, just to give some interesting numbers, in the last 30 days, um, to be honest, I didn't check today because I assume that uh, things have uh, <laughs> changed uh, overnight. But uh, in the last 30 days, maybe uh, 31 days, we we've we, we've we were our infrastructure was responsible for about 80 billion dollars of on-chain settlements. Um, that sort of represents somewhere between you know three to five percent of the overall tra- on-chain transactions. So. I think it's already quite decent, you know, in terms of uh, what you see as a as a market activity. Um, I think one of the things that we continuously think about is how to uh, make sure that uh, we are not becoming um, a critical risk, right, for the for the for the for the industry or for the for the market. And you know, we have quite of interesting uh, approaches over there that we're going to evaluate in the next uh, twelve months. For sure. And then when you think through like the obstacles to the business as you continue to grow, uh, what, what do you see as um, the largest obstacles or challenges? Is it something that's internal in terms of scaling and, and just building or is it something that's external that uh, you've got to be aware of, but might actually be outside of your control? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the interesting, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of challenges, to be honest, because we are really scaling quickly. At the beginning of, uh, I mean, 12 months ago, we were 30 people in the company, and now we have over 90 or maybe like, you know, we're approaching 100 people, right? So scaling like threefold in 12 months during COVID was not an easy task, but you know, hopefully we've managed that well. And also from a customer standpoint, clearly making sure that all of our customers are happy and they're getting the SLA and the services that they need. And, uh, you know, um, we do serve as a really critical component for them. Uh, that's also a challenge uh, to to continue and perform. But, but you know, strategically, I think that we are at this point where the market and the use cases open up. Right? It's almost that every scaled company right now can be everything for everyone. Right? So I mean, you don't need like specifically Fireblocks as an example. You can also even look at players like Coinbase or BlockFi that you can see how diversified they are, right? In terms of the use cases that they are serving. And yeah, same applies for us, right? We have use cases that are around trading and we have use cases around payment and we have use cases around prime brokerage and we have use cases around lending. And now, you know, there is this amazing use case around treasury management for for corporations and there are use cases around... um, you know, merchant, uh, merchant, uh, sorry, uh, cross-border remittance. And one of the, I think like, you know, strategically for us, the, the challenge is, is really how to navigate and how to time um, which one of those pockets we want to go after and address at every given moment. Uh, because eventually I believe that you need to have the right product and you need to, you know, have a quality product to, to serve a specific niche. Um, so timing it and putting the, the resources is something that we, uh, you know, I, I see it as one of our challenges for the next, uh, I don't know, like three or four years. 
Yeah. And, and in terms of um, kind of the macro environment of the industry, uh, talk a little bit about how you see uh, this collision course with uh, with Wall Street, right? Is this a world where they're all going to capitulate and they have to support digital assets uh, and it'll coexist alongside the legacy world? Do you see it completely disrupting them and they're eventually all going to be built uh, and playing on top of like open decentralized protocols? Just when you kind of zoom out from just fire blocks and you think industry uh, and you kind of meet Wall Street, you know, at some point in the future, how does that play out? Yeah, I think it's a good question. You know, I've always been sort of uh, a strong believer in um, like very disruptive innovation, right? So I think that people always think that, uh, you know, people over sort of underestimate how long it will take for the change to trigger. And they always um, overestimate, you know, how, I mean, they, they don't really able to understand how quickly that change, when the change actually comes, how quickly it's going to disrupt them, right? Um, and, you know, traditionally you've seen it with companies like, you know, IBM and okay, like, you know, Blockbusters and others that basically it took way longer to something to happen, but when it happened, it happened so quickly that they just couldn't react. So um, I think that overall, uh, this change is actually going to happen, you know, fairly quickly for them. And I think that some of those institutions will be able to react and accommodate. So I guess they will be the Microsofts of the world, you know, of, yes, like, you know, the cloud is going, is, it will be a disruptor for them. And for some period they will lag behind AWS or Amazon, but eventually they will be able to to catch up and they will become as powerful as them. And I think some of those guys will be the IBMs and they will basically, you know, uh, over time become, will become less and less relevant because they won't be able to modernize, modernize their infrastructure. And by the way, the, the, the modernization of their infrastructure is really, really deep because, you know, just to give like stupid examples, um, if you, to, to, for their systems to even deal with the precision that you have with Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Basically like, you know, six digits, right? Precision, right? They don't have systems that know how to do it today, right? Basically they need to replatform everything, including the web interface of the bank. Um, so as you can imagine, you know, some of those guys will not be able to catch up with, uh, with that as well, at all. Yeah. What is the thing that uh, you're spending the most time thinking about as we move forward, right? You, you uh, founded and run one of these critical pieces of infrastructure. What keeps you up at night right now? Or like, what are the one or two uh, data points or, or milestones that you're looking for from an industry perspective? Yeah, I think that um, there are two things that are keeping me up at night. One is, uh, or maybe like, you know, three. Um, the first one is um, just day-to-day -day operations, right? That, you know, to make sure that we, as I said, make sure that we, everything functions properly, right? The, uh, the system is, uh, the system is up and running and, and all those, uh, things work for our customers. Um, the second is really the strategy of sort of how to make sure that we, I mean, again, there is sort of like the five years strategy, but also there is like the 12 month strategy of how do we really go about, um, the newer play, the newest players that are coming in, right? Like the fintechs of the world, the neobanks that clearly they're, they're going, all of those guys 
are going to move in the next 12 months and they're going to provide services. So for example, Revolut is a customer of ours, but it's also very clear that all their you know, competitors are going to do something in the next uh, 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 12 months or so. And we need to basically be ready to, 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 to set an infrastructure for them. And the last piece is actually talent, right? So hiring and, uh, and scaling and making sure that we have the best talent uh, there is uh, in the company is also something that, you know, as a CEO is very important for me. I, I, I'm like a strong believer in the A player brings in A player and like, you know, B player brings a C player. So fundamentally the reason why we were able to execute so quickly was because we have great people and we, as we scale, you know, to, to maintain it is always something that you need to be very thoughtful of. Absolutely. Before I finish up, I always ask everyone the same three questions and then you'll get to ask me one question to finish up. Uh, the first one is what is the most important book that you've ever read? Um, professionally or personally? Either one, whatever, whatever comes to mind. I think, you know, personally, one of the best books that I read is Catch-22. And, Why? Uh, um, I think, you know, I read it at the period that, uh, when I was sort of like, you know, uh, uh, toward the end of my uh, military service and it sort of like, you know, changed my perception about, uh, the world and, you know, uh, I guess the, <laughs> some of the, uh, you know, things that we, the, the perceptions of, that people have about how the world works and, but like, you know, what, what really matter and like, you know, how, I guess, uh, uh, you know, how we, we perceive things that are absolutely not the real truth. Right. That was basically, uh, and it's sort of like, you know, it goes about in a very sarcastic way. Right. So that was basically, I think one of the most, uh, interesting books that I read. It was like 20 years ago. And, uh, I think, you know, professionally, probably a book called Four Steps to Epiphany, which is really like a Bible of how to develop product and, you know, uh, achieve product market fit. Absolutely. Second question is uh, more personal sleep schedule. Uh, I've been using the new eight sleep thermoregulated bed. Uh, I used to be like a five, six hour sleeper. Now I basically sleep like on an ice cube and, uh, and get much better <laughs> sleep. And it's been like life-changing for me, uh, with the, the, uh, eight sleep stuff. But, uh, what, what is your sleep schedule and how has that, uh, kind of changed over the years? So I guess like, you know, before I had kids, I would sleep like, you know, 12 hours. I really like to sleep. Um, you know, nowadays my five years old, unfortunately, like, you know, comes in the middle of the night and kicks me like, you know, for the rest of the night. So, uh, I wish I, I could say that I have like, you know, a six hour sleep, uh, but, uh, yeah, maybe I should like, you know, bring a big ice cube and then he will like, you know, stay in his bed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Last question is more fun. Aliens. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, like real aliens, like, you know, green aliens that come to visit us or like if there are like, you know, uh, other forms of uh, life. Uh, Whatever you think. Yeah. So I think like, you know, B, I definitely, I, you know, I studied physics. So I definitely believe that like, you know, B is definitely a good probability that there is like a, another life form uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the universe, you know, like 50, area 51 conspiracy theories are, I guess like, you know, I'm, a, I, 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 you know, I think that, uh, after I stopped watching, um, you know, X files when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or 17 years old, I 
I sort of dropped that uh, conspiracy theory. <laughs> I I, uh, I love that people now have to say, you know, are we talking about green men or not, right? When they talk about aliens, because uh, <laughs> people are getting smarter about the whole thing. Uh, what what one question do you have for me to uh, to finish up? Actually, that's a good question. So, like aliens, <laughs> what's your view? I, I've talked about it a million times. Uh, so I, I think that they, there's other intelligent life that exists somewhere in the world, but it is so far away that you and I in our lifetime won't come in contact with it, oh, which okay. you know, kind of calls into question, does that mean that they actually exist or not, right? If we don't get to engage with them, then uh, maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but maybe like, you know, our grand, grand, grandchildren, we like, you know, have some kind of crazy technology that we'll be able to propel them through wormholes and they will be able to meet them. Absolutely. Uh, how can we find people to find you on the internet? Um, or where can we send people to find you on the internet or, or find out more about Fireblocks? Yeah, sure. So uh, on our website, fireblocks.com and uh, uh, LinkedIn, you know, pretty active there. Uh, Michael Shalov. Awesome, Michael. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think people are really going to enjoy it. You've built some, uh, some amazing technology and a great company. And uh, I hope that you keep going and we'll have to do this again in the future. Sounds good. Thanks, Anton.